down to Horror Cool Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're finally at the last episode of Pride Month. And what a, what a great Pride Month it's been this year. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, it's been, it's been good. good. Yeah. I mean, you're in the sound there, but... Yeah, well... It's been, it's been very, all right. It's been all right. I'm very proud. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, It's been always. difficult to get out and, and celebrate, though, hasn't yeah, it? Not, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just but... talking about the podcast. You, you're the ones going deep and going... Oh, into, okay, yeah. <laughs> Anyway. But yes, uh, and, and as you know, we have been bringing you all sorts of uh, of guests this month. And today's for today's guest, uh, if you're a horror fan and you've ever visited Blackpool, there's a good chance today's guest might have scared the shit out of you at some point. <laughs> <laughs> we, we wanted to bring you a wide variety of LGBTQ plus guests for Pride Month. And for our final episode, we are joined by the first ever scare actor to appear on this podcast. He's a terrifying clown and an all-round nice guy from Blackpool's Bizarre South Terror. It's Jack Taylor. Hello. I didn't realise I was the first scare actor on. I'm, I'm, I'm honoured. Well, yeah. I mean, it, we, it's been a first for a few things this month, hasn't it? Like, yeah. we've, we've really branched out with, with guests. I don't think we know that many scare actors, to be no, fair. No. I mean, I'm trying to make us sound more important than we actually are. <laughs> I suppose it's scary and not knowing who's underneath the this, this is true. Well, we may have ruined the illusion now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, th- those are my words. Tell us uh, what it is you do in, in your words. Well, um, there's a strange, strange market out there for people that are willing to give you money to scare them. And I feel as as the I fill the gap in the market um, for people that are willing to be scared. So I've worked at Passage del Terra now for four years, I think, slightly over. Um, just doing bits of everything. You'll often see me outside with the nice fancy top hats and the nice latex cuts and bruises. Um, or downstairs is one of the many, many spooky, spooky things we have hiding down there. Yeah, we, we love it, don't we? Yeah, I was wondering where that latex I was going to say, going usually when I, uh, usually <laughs> I when I meet you guys, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's the, that's a side job. That's that's, that's <laughs> the road. Yeah, that, that's, that's the week, that's the weekdays when uh, yeah. <laughs> when the Halloween money dries up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it looks like the most fun job in the world. Does oh, I mean, would you love to do that? I know I would. I would. I would. I'd struggle not to like smack people. Like, <laughs> 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 last touch. <laughs> People are generally pretty well behaved because, again, you know, they've they've paid for this experience. They they go in knowing they're going to be scared, and the, there are people that will come in expect like trying to start fights and stuff like that. But it's a it's a minority of people. The the vast majority of people are lovely. What would you say is the? Would you do you have a favourite guest that you've had go in or customer even? I, f- I feel now pressured to say you guys because. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> but I, I, there's there's less kind of a favourite individual guest because we we do have people that will you know will come in quite a lot. Um, but I th- I think my my favourite type of people is you you know you'll get these people at the door the, you know these big oh I'm you know nothing scares me I'm a unshakable individual, you get them halfway through passage and the screaming and shouting and begging to be let out it's it's a wonderful uh 
it's a wonderful thing. And, and definitely I've, I've found the side of scare attractions that I'm most comfortable on. It's definitely yeah. being the person under the, uh, the makeup and masks. Yeah, see, I mean, my, my problem is whenever I go along, I'm always visibly scared outside as well. So I always feel like I'm going to be picked on when I go in. <laughs> Whereas you, you're just like, oh, okay, yeah. I find it funny. It's funny. It's so weird. It's such a strange experience that it does make you jump. Yeah, and, you know. Well, it makes you feel like you're scared. in a horror film. It's, it's yes. it does, it is, isn't it? But then, and that that's that's really what we go for at Passage as well. It's kind of placing you into that that role of the victim. But I, th I think the first time is because we were with uh, people we didn't know. Yeah, and it was just a weird feeling of holding hands with someone you've just met. <laughs> I'm like, why are we holding hands with this? Who, who are you? Um, so maybe that was that was a strange experience, and then sort of having to listen to you screeching and screaming <laughs> and other people I know screeching and screaming. I was like, shut up, I'm trying to enjoy the moment. But that's the thing, and there, there is so much to be enjoyed in there as well. I mean, the amount of detail that goes into like the sets and the costume designs is oh. fantastic. Really, really good. Yeah, it generally is actually. Yeah, it's really well done. And. Um, Today's film was Pin. I, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Pinhead was in Passage Latter at one point, wasn't he? No comment. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I see. Yeah. I, I, I won't say any more. It's just a, a vivid memory from, from the past. Um, but that's my segue into what we're talking about today. And we are talking about Howraiser 1 and 2, the good Howraiser films. I don't mind three. I don't hate three. Three is good, but not for the right reasons. <laughs> that, no, that's fair. That's <laughs> I, I was obsessed with Howard as a three growing up, I, and, and it's obviously why I turned out like I am. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's... If, I, we probably should have put three on with this, because it is super gay. Oh, it, it, it's, it's... Yeah, it's pretty gay. Are you disagreeing with us? Do you not remember? It would stick out like a sore thumb, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, all yeah, I, all I remember is the CDs. That's all I remember. You don't remember the club owner with his big chest out like for about ten minutes of the film? Maybe. Oh, I do. That really overlong sex scene. I feel, I feel like maybe I thought that was another film. <laughs> <laughs> not the most memorable. I will say Hellraiser Race of Three, bless you. Bless your heart. <laughs> Um, but after Hellraiser 3, it's, it's all downhill from there. Jack, have you seen anything after Hellraiser 3? I have dabbled in, I think, four and a few minutes of five before I just... No. No. So you've seen Pinhead in Space? <laughs> I think that that was kind of the point at which I was like, you know what, I think this, this, this franchise may have... Uh... There's yeah. a reason that no film after, like, two got a theatrical release. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, I mean, starting with uh, the first film for today, Hellraiser, released in 1987, directed by Clive Barker, uh, who we have discussed previously on the podcast, who uh, directed, of course, Nightbreed, Lord of Illusions, um, horror legend, gay icon um, in his own right, uh, budget, one million pounds. Well, it's one million pounds budget, but that's then it made fourteen point five million dollars worldwide. So, do that what you will. Would you say that's a success? Um, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it got a sequel. 
Must have done well. A sequel, right? Many sequels. I mean, I don't know what the exchange rate was like in 1987. No. Um, it's not great now. So it wouldn't have done well now. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fucking know. <laughs> Yeah, it did well. Yeah, it did oh, well. It did, oh, it did oh, really. It did I think really mo- did most well. websites got... tend to list. Uh, it, so it many shitty sequels. You know, it was it was you know a triumph <laughs> all round. Are you quite finished? Yes. Sorry, Jack, what were you saying? Most most websites and reviews tend to say mixed reviews and mixed success when it comes to Yeah, I mean, there's no arguing the fact that it's a cult film. It's definitely a cult film now, a cult classic. Uh, especially amongst horror fans. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, no? I would put Pinhead out there with Freddy. And... Oh, yes. I mean, as a character, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, maybe... No, no, I disagree with you. I'm sorry. Huh? I, I, I think it's just as mainstream as the others. It's just the quality isn't great, mm. by all accounts. Yeah. Whereas, you know, people want to rediscover Nightmare on Elm Street and... The Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a, I think it's a really great film, and it it shocked me the first time I watched it because the marketing is so heavily based on Pinhead. You expect him to be, uh, you know, like a typical '80s slasher icon like Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees, but it's really Slay Queen Julia who's at the centre of all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is actually. Yeah, yeah. But we'll get to that shortly. Getting into trivia. Uh, the Chatterer and Butterball Cenobites had dialogue in the original script. However, when their makeup made coherent speech impossible, their lines were given to the female Cenobite and especially Pinhead, which helped to cement his reputation as the film's trademark character. Could you imagine any of the other characters being the centre? The, the Cenobite spice? I would say Pinhead has the best look yeah. of all of them. I, th- I think that's a more marketable look. Um, a more memorable look, really. Um, easy to do for Halloween as well. Let's be fair. Easy to do for Halloween. You should put some pins in your head, don't you? Bald some pins in your head. Balls, cap, and pins. That's yeah. Is, is that how they do it? Is, is that how? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that is in fact how um, how everything is done. Um, <laughs> In fact, so, if you just stick 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 a ball cap on and uh, <laughs> whack some pins inside it, that's that's how we did it back in the day. So, um, so that means if you want to go as Freddy Krueger this year, you've actually got a bony face. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Full method. You go full method. Yeah, Halloween's gonna be great this year. Um, <laughs> the film was originally supposed to be called The Howbound Heart after the novella upon which it was based. The studio decided the title sounded too much like a romance and asked Clive Barker to change it. So <laughs> he offered sadomasochists from beyond the grave, um, which apparently wasn't all right. Uh, he ultimately <laughs> opened the floor to the production team to offer up their own suggestions, which prompted a 60-year-old female crew member to offer up what a woman will do for a good fuck. <laughs> That's a really good descriptive title, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. That's what yeah, the film is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Essentially. Yeah, yeah, she's just hammering people in the head for a bit of dick. That's all she wants. Oh, you missed out a hammering pun there. Ah, hammering people to get. Oh. <laughs> Come on, Gary. 
Okay, I'm, I'll get with it. I'll I'll uh, I'll brush up on my puns for the rest of the episode. Because it's the last episode of Pride Month, doesn't mean you can let it slip. <laughs> well, you, I'm sure you'll have plenty of puns to pun monster. <laughs> Doug Bradley was originally offered a choice of roles between one of the mattress movers and the lead Cenobite. He originally thought it was uh, important that as a new actor. The audience should see his face and uh, turn down the lead Cenobite role because it was originally going to be female. Uh, a female character. Like in the book. Yeah, so Pinhead is female in the book. Yeah. So was the intention for Pinhead to be female initially when production Yeah, started? Yeah, they were going to go from, from the book. Okay. But then, obviously, Doug Bradley... That's a shame, really. I will say that. All respects to um, that man whose name I've t- totally forgotten. Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley. <laughs> you just said it. I know, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Chris. It's the last episode of Pride Month. Yeah, Get sure. it together. <laughs> All respects to Doug Bradley. I do. It would have been nice to have a female, you know, horror villain mm. in the sort of same realms as, yeah. you know, um, the others. But then They're actually... You do have to question then, female Pinhead, would would she then be thought of in the same realms as the others? Or exactly. would the plot? Very true. Exactly. I mean, we'll find out soon because she is going to be the lead character in the new reboot they're doing. Um, I mean, in the 80s, I don't know if many people would have said as much about it, but now, obviously, we have the wonderful internet and comment sections and everyone's just like, oh my god, uh, they're going to change it to a woman. Well, hey, asshole, it was a woman in the fucking book. But yeah, they obviously don't do enough research into that. Sorry, my rant's over. Okay. Just yeah. case, I don't know if you wanted an input. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> just a mini rant. Just no, a mini I completely rant. agree. I completely agree. <laughs> you t- tell them, Gary. You fucking <laughs> tell them. You give them what for? Imaginary nerds out there. You tell them. <laughs> At the time the movie's released, the MPAA had an agenda on intensity of tone. As a result of this, Clive Barker had to make several cuts to the film, uh, including consecutive hammer blows, fingers entering flesh, oi oi, <laughs> S&M spanking between Julia and Frank. It's getting less subtle as it goes on. Additional thrusts during the sex scene, <laughs> or the intention of watering down the overall impact of the piece. Okay, now. I, I love the idea. I love the idea that they just watched that and were like counting the thrusts. One, two. No, that's too many. Nope. <laughs> like, yeah, we're fine with uh, you know people being torn apart and whatnot. That, that's absolutely fine. But if you thrust one more time during a sex scene, it's going. It ain't making the release. <laughs> For the video release, the film had one of the most unusual pieces of bonus material that has ever been offered. A home shopping network show where merchandise from the film could be purchased. The show is hosted by a giddy old lady claiming to be a hardcore fan of the film. Oh. Is that on any of the Blu-ray or DVD releases? It's not, but it might be on YouTube. Oh, that'd be interesting to watch. It, it would be. Do a whole episode of it. Well, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Stretch any old shit out, can't we? Wow. <laughs> 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 well, I've done it in the past. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen a film called The Beast of Bunny Jack? I have not. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, you've seen um, Ready to Rumble, though, haven't you? I, I unfortunately, as a as an avid wrestling fan, 
have been uh, put through the tortures of that film. Yeah, we stretched that out for a full episode. Yeah, Gary, as not a wrestling fan, was uh, forced to watch it mm. and make notes and speak about it for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. That was, you, that was your episode. That, that was, was episode. my That was, that my that was your, your time that was to shine. That was, you, you knew what you were talking about. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was much to talk about. I mean, I would have offered you the guest spot for that episode, but then you would have had to watch the film again. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm glad. And and spe- speaking of uh, torturous things, should we get back to? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, um, we, we tend to go off on tangents. Uh, <laughs> a tangent. A tangent. Uh, the film was originally set in England, hence the obvious London location, and it is obvious it's that it's in England. In um, London. Yeah, but the studio New World thought the film would be more marketable if it was set in America. Uh, so many of the English actors, including Sean Chapman, Olivia Parker, and others, were dubbed by American actors. I never found that too noticeable. No, it's incredibly confusing because you have Larry at one point tell Juliet that they're back at her old stomping ground. Yeah. Juliet is English, so I just assumed he meant England. So, you know, we're back at your old stomping ground, you know, where you used to live. But then the house that they're in was his mother's, and he's American. So I had no fucking clue where they were. No. Somewhere in the middle of the fucking Atlantic, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it was confusing. Yeah. It just, it just, the whole film looks very British, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And and they were so very clearly dubbed. <laughs> very clearly dubbed. Some of them look just like old Alan down the pub. <laughs> I mean, like, you look British. And I do not trust that you're English, uh, that you're American in any way. According to Clive Barker, as the writing of Hellraiser uh, took place during the height of uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th and Halloween film series, his intended portrayal of Pinhead as an articulate and intelligent character was initially not well received by the producers. Some suggested that Pinhead should act more like Freddy Krueger and crack jokes, whilst others suggested that he's a silent character like Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers. Barker insisted that Pinhead's personality be more evocative of Christopher Lee's portrayal of Count Dracula. Part of the chill of Dracula surely... This is what he said, by the way. Part of the chill of Dracula surely lies in the fact that he is very clearly and articulately aware of what he is doing, uh, you feel that he that that he's a uh, he's got a penetrating intelligence. Excuse me. Oh, hey. <laughs> like this trivia is full of it. Um, <laughs> and I don't find dumb things terribly scary. I find intelligence scary, particularly twisted intelligence. And it's one of the reasons why Hannibal Lecter is scary. Uh, it's because you always feel that he's going to be three jumps ahead of you. Do you agree? Um. Yeah. I suppose. I actually felt like, um, oh, yeah, what's his name? The one that Julie, the, the brother, Frank. Mm. I actually felt like Frank came across as more of a vampire type character. Yeah. Um, I'll discuss that more in the episode. Oh. Uh, but yeah, I actually thought he came across more in that sense. So it's interesting mm. to hear their intention was for um, Pinhead to be that way. Yeah. And uh, for my last bit of trivia for the first Hellraiser, Jennifer Tilly originally auditioned for the role of Kirsty. That would have been amazing. It would have been. It would have been. Yeah. 
So getting into the film, uh, a woman discovers the newly resurrected, partially formed body of her brother-in-law. She starts killing for him to revitalize his body so he can escape the demonic beings that are pursuing him after he escaped their sadistic underworld. And we start with classic 80s black background with white writing opening credits with the phenomenal score. Yeah, we do. The score is, is something else, isn't it? Oh, so yeah. Lovely. It just, it feels, it, it doesn't feel like it, it's for a horror film. It feels really epic. It feels like it's being a really, really big film, but it still works because of that, if that makes sense. In, in the same way that it works for Candyman. There's a very similar score for that. Um, and Nightbreed. Yeah, and nice for it not to be synth heavy. Yeah, and, and that's what makes it stand out, especially yeah. within the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in Morocco, Frank Cotton has dirty fingernails, buys a puzzle box from a dealer. His fingernails always bother me. Oh, every fucking time. Filthy. Absolutely filthy. Disgraceful. But the guy he's buying them from, his fingernails aren't even that bad. No. I don't know why he's <laughs> disgusting. No, ex absolutely no excuse whatsoever. It doesn't help that it's such a sweaty film as well. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> In a bare attic, when Frank solves the puzzle, hooked chains emerge and tear him apart. Later, the same room is filled with swinging chains and covered with the remains of his body. And this is when we're introduced to the Cenobites. Uh, Pinhead, the leader, Butterball, Chatterer and the female Cenobite. I mean, she not get a nickname. Why does she get a name? She not get a nickname. <laughs> Disgusting. Absolutely disgraceful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a, I've never thought about that actually. No. Yeah. yeah. She's always referred to as female Cenobite. Anyway. No words. No. No. I've not changed in a new one. <laughs> well, she'd be called Pinhead, won't she? Yeah, but I hope there's another. Female. Yeah, maybe. With a name. Just give her a name. Just give her a fucking name. Just call her Tracy. Go into the big hat where all the women's names are. Do you know they're just like, that's weird. What's a woman called? We've got Julia and a Kirsty. What do we need another one for? I'll tell you what, they should call her Sharon and give her a taser. Stop bringing that up in every single episode. Have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Pinhead pieces Frank's face together uh, before he picks up the box and returns to his original state, restoring the room to normal. And sometime afterwards, Frank's brother Larry moves into the house, which is an absolute shithole. Oh, filthy, absolutely filthy, <laughs> disgraceful. It's, it's, you're gonna like this every time. There's, a, there's I've got the word filthy written down so many times <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> oh, oh, um, shit! I, I, because I'm professional. I oh, forgot nice. to ask the uh, the question we're asking about every film. This private, the final time as well. I, I forgot know. the first episode. So, guys, I know we're a little ahead of where we should be by now. But what makes Hellraiser gay? Um. I don't know. <laughs> well, I hope you don't. No. <laughs> uh, well, I assume Clive Barker makes it gay. True. You know, just any any gay artist has got to bring a level of homo to anything that they create. Yeah. 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 Or the lever, and you know. 
Yeah, well, yeah, okay, all that leather, and... You know how that someone told us off the other day, because we said Fright Night was an LGBT film, so... And, and hooks, <laughs> and so... Well, I don't know, I mean, the thing is, I don't know, I, I suppose then you're getting into cruising territory, and it's like, not all gay people are like that, so... I only want to answer to a simple question. Well, you answer the fucking question then. Clive Barker makes it gay. There we go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Penelope's is Frank's. Yeah, Jack. What makes Hellraiser gay? I mean, hell, the with the first one, you don't you don't get it so much, but as as you go through, it it it's it's pretty camp. In in the same way that kind of um, the later Nightmare on Elm Street movies aren't gay, but the campness, especially in is it two. Yes. Yeah. Where, yeah. where it, it and and it, it never has to say, oh, this is like pretty gay, but it's pretty gay. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think you, you, you get you get less of it in the first one, which is I think it just establishing itself and yeah, absolutely. It, it, it gets gay. Yeah, and that is the answer I was looking for. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> so they go to the house, which is a shithole. The two rebuild his strained relationship with his second wife, Julia. Um, who had an affair with Frank shortly before their wedding. I love Julia so much, and I think she should have been in every film after the second she one as well. She should have been. She, she is really the ultimate been. bad bitch. She has given me everything. Her outfits are amazing. You know, again, you know, she hammers to get the, to get some dick. You know, who hasn't done that? Well, she's actually the heart of the film. She's, she is. She's, she is. She's really the protagonist. Um, and the part where I, I think, and we'll get on to it, where Hellraiser 2 fails is that she's not used enough. Mm. Um, I think, um, oh my god, I've forgotten the actress's name, it's a disgraceful. Uh, Claire Higgins. Claire Higgins, excuse me. Um, Claire Higgins, I think she fully commits so much because yeah. it could be a ridiculous, hammy, over the top portrayal, yeah, um, in both films, but she commits so well to the character. That it, it didn't feel believable. I don't actually think this could happen, uh, but it, it feels more real, and you're Very more invested in yeah. the story. It's, it's the most realistic film I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if there is any camp value to be found within these films, Julia's bringing it out. Yeah, yeah. The, some um, of the outfits that she picks the men up from in the clubs are pretty. Yeah. Absolutely. When she's like, bringing her strong business attire, oh my god! Like, I mean, me, a gay man, I'd go back to the house and get hammered. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and we're here going, yes, queen, yes. She's murdering yes, people. Yes. <laughs> but to an average person that isn't us, who stand middle-aged women all the fucking time, uh, to to a general audience, the fact that she commits as an actress makes it just a bit work better. Hey, we don't just stand middle-aged women, we also stand Larry's teenage daughter, Kirsty. I'm not sure if I stand her or not. Do you stand her more in the sequel? Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, funny story about Kirsty, who was played by Ashley Lawrence. Ashley Lawrence came back for a later sequel. May have been how raised that, I want to say five or six, and she did it just so she could afford a new fridge. So, do with that information what you will. 
She, you know, all props to her. She's aged very well. Oh, she has. She, you go on her Instagram, and you know, you wouldn't think there's much time between this the film yeah. and now. She's she's aged very well. She is getting that Hellraiser fame. She is living off it. She's she great. Is, to see. She's a little bit, to be fair. She's a little bit obsessed. Yeah, but it's good. It's nice to see. But back when she was in the eighties, she calls her dad Larry to tell him she's chosen not to live with them because Julie's a bad bitch. And she'll be moving into her own place instead. Julia finds a bunch of saucy pictures of Frank with different women. Filthy. Absolutely filthy, these photos are, aren't they? Just Is that part of your notes? Yeah. Oh my I was going to say, I think we need a filthy counter here. For... Yeah. <laughs> the first one would definitely win. It would. Yeah, the second one ain't as filthy. I don't think I wrote the word once in my notes for the second one. <laughs> Um, yeah, she finds these dirty pictures, um, saves them for a rainy day, and the moving guy turned up. <laughs> she saves them for the wank bank. Saves them for the wank bank, <laughs> slips them in the back pocket. She slips one into her back pocket. <laughs> and she, like, tears off the other woman on it as well. And, like, girl, you, do you know what? Do it. You are you do, giving yeah. me... She is giving me Olivia Rodrigo in the 80s. You know, she's like, good for you if a woman were Frank, but you're off this fucking picture, goodbye. <laughs> so the moving guys turn up and they have the cheek to ask Julia to get them a beer before also flirting with Kirsty. It's like, no. Well, she doesn't, does she? No, she, she doesn't. doesn't. It's in yeah. the fridge. <laughs> Kirsty fails to use a tap whilst Julia reminisces about having steamy sex with Frank. Um, yes, so here's the wank bank. Uh, for... <laughs> Didn't you watch this with your mum? I did. Yeah, so my when I first watched, yeah, um, when I first watched the film, because um, everyone said, oh, you got to watch it, you got to watch it, you know, horror classic, horror classic. It was on all the, you know, websites and whatnot. Um, so it was on TV, and I was watching it, I was finding that, and my mum was, so she was actually slightly invested in it, and then they started going at it. I was like, oh my God, and it was kind of the first time because it's fucking steamy. I mean, it's not. It is. You don't have close-ups of anything. Well, you get to see his dick. Well, you, yeah, you, you do. Get a nice, um, get a nice shot of that. <laughs> and she, you get a bit of boob from, and a bit of ass from uh, Julia as well. But it was probably, like, the filthiest thing I'd seen <laughs> up to that point. And when my mum was there, she's like, oh, God, the film is <laughs> Did, uh, I, I had no idea. I don't know. I don't, know I don't know did, uh, did, <laughs> did Janice add this scene to the filthy count? Uh, she, she was like, it's filthy. It's like, it's filthy. <laughs> I didn't learn anything from it. <laughs> <laughs> Wasted, really. Um, Larry cuts his hand in a really disgusting scene. Mm. I don't like this. That oh, my God. Brutal. Yeah, you can have like hooks going into everyone here, there, and everywhere, but have a nail go on a hand, no. It's it scrapes, though, isn't yeah. it? And it's, it's the kind of thing that's happened to all of us, not to that extent, <laughs> um, but we've all sort of maybe like scratched a hand or you know scraped against something or, or got a cut um, like that. Yeah, well, it's more relatable. I mean, I've never had a fucking hook go through any part of my body it's yeah. more relatable so i find i find the ones that are more relatable to be more gruesome like yeah. when, like when people step on nails and stuff oh, yeah. like that yeah. yeah yeah um yeah so he cuts his hand and he lets blood drip on the attic floor when he goes up to get julia 
And the blood resurrects Frank as a skinless corpse. And the special effects in this still look incredible to this very day. Which, which makes me wonder why, like, half the special effects seem brilliant. And then anything to do with the box. It, yeah. It's just <laughs> awful. Yeah, as soon as they have any sort of digital effect, it's like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> this is really, really bad. <laughs> But, like, yeah. the skinless Frank looks amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every single bit of makeup and, and the costume designs and everything in this film looks so good until you get to those digital effects. Um, I mean, even, like, the small little details in Pinhead's costume, like the little bits of, uh, you know, the, the hooks going through the flesh on his stomach and such, it just, it all looks disgusting in the best way possible. Uh, Larry hosts a dinner party with a bunch of obnoxious, loud, rich white people. Honestly, this dinner party looked like a fucking nightmare. It was very come down with me, wasn't it? Was it? <laughs> yeah. They a all, bit more obnoxious. They all looked like um, those sort of middle class up themselves people that go on to uh, <laughs> come down with me and then start shouting when they come last. You know... They enjoy the money. I hope it makes you happy. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely giving me those vibes. Or what's the other one where they're in hotels? Oh, they've come through Passage actually for one episode. You can find did it do it in Blackpool? Yeah, they they did um they did one in Blackpool and the 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 groups the groups that were in it came through Passage. It was no. before my time, but you, I think the footage is on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> Oh, have you ever actually watched a full episode of Four and Fifth? No, I have. <laughs> it can be just as entertaining as Come Down with Me, for the same reasons. I've seen like people get angry at the end. Like, don't don't they? Ha- they don't give points. They give like they how pay much pay what I the pay. room is. Yes. Yeah. How much would I pay? Yeah. And sort of. You only gave me two pound. <laughs> There was, um, a, there was a poo stain in your shower. <laughs> <laughs> How much would you give Larry for his dinner party? I'd give him 55 cents. <laughs> or, at the exchange rate, 25 pence. Because <laughs> we don't know what fucking country we're in. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> you, see you, you, you have no idea. No idea. Just whatever, whatever. <laughs> um, Julia is hating it because she's a woman of class, obviously. She's fucking dickmatized. <laughs> she seriously, she saw a bunch of filthy photos and she is dickmatized. This is where I sort of related with her. Re- no, no. no. <laughs> Yeah, okay, we, we saw Frank's clock. I get it. Uh, <laughs> um, where was I? This is where I sort of feel Frank is more vampiric, mm. in he's kind of got a hold on her, and there are lots of scenes where um, she does seem hypnotized by him, and she um you know, does these things for him that she knows is morally wrong. You know, we get flashbacks. She looks quite innocent in those flashbacks. 
Um, you know, sort of housewife. Her hair is awful in those flashbacks. <laughs> um, um, but she's kind of seduced by him the same way that, a, you know, Dracula in those Christopher Lee films would seduce one of his victims. Yeah. And plus, Frank would never throw a dinner party like that. No, no. Kirsty is getting one. What's your problem with this dinner party? It just looks fucking it's awful. Just a dinner party. Kirsty's getting wine drunk. I was gonna say, Kirsty gets wine drunk. He gets a boyfriend. <laughs> Quite quickly as well. Well, that's, I got an issue with him. To be fair, um, because she says um, if she drinks any more, she wouldn't be able to stand. To which he replies, "So lie down." Oh, she does in front yeah. of her dad. <laughs> yeah. And, and the dad's like, ah, oh, nice one, fella. Nah, yeah, you get in there. <laughs> so, what's our thoughts on Steve, the boyfriend? Jack, what's your thoughts on Steve? Uh, Steve does not deserve. Uh, Steve does not deserve rights. We don't. We don't no. like Steve. <laughs> so we we are, we are now by we are here. Here we are today, stripping Steve of his rights. Mm. Steve looks like a replacement bassist for The Cure when they're on tour. Give him a bit <laughs> too much credit there. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he, he looks like a real generic, um, like, guitarist or bass player in, in these sort of indie bands from the late 80s. Excuse Oh, a good, good save there. Good save. Mm. Um, <laughs> the asshole boyfriend that came with the frame. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they have a bit of a flirt. Julia finds Frank in the attic uh, and he explains he needs more blood to be fully restored. Uh, Steve walks Kirsty home and gives her a kiss after she spots a scary homeless man. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And he just pops up <laughs> randomly. So I don't know how to analyse this. No. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't know if there is anything to look into with that. Um, Julia agrees to bring people back for Frank to drain and they can run away together. Um, yeah, I mean, as you said, Jack, he looks fantastic, the, mm -hmm. the skinless Frank, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Really, really good. Kirsty has a dream about a body covered in feathers and blood and then someone pops up wearing her father's face and uh, she's there with Steve. Steve wakes her up. Yeah, but Kirsty doesn't put out on the first date. She doesn't. Go on, no. Uh, Steve sleeping on the floor whilst yeah. Kirsty is the bed. To which I ask, why bother staying over then if you're going to sleep on, you know? We're showing Willie. He's... He's... He's trying to redeem himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but why stay over and sleep on the floor? Well, she slowly started getting, she started sobering up and then realised we had no personality. <laughs> so that's why he's on the floor. Um, yeah, so she calls her dad to make sure he's okay. Julia dresses in that strong business attire and begins picking up men in bars, bringing them back to the house, killing them with a hammer, um, before Frank sinks his hand into dying bodies, draining their life and regenerating his body. Yeah, she does. She does. She's an executive realness throughout. She is. She, is uh, she looks like a strong businesswoman. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, she, she's slaying it. She does have... I'm not a big fan of the star earrings, though. Why not? Mm, I, I don't know. I, I like them. Yeah. Big Pat Butcher. Yes, exactly. She ain't Pat Butcher. No, but she's like more of a Slay Queen version of Pat Butcher. She's like, she's like the Pat Butcher that would headline Pride. Okay. 
<laughs> I don't know what a talent. You can't argue with that. <laughs> I mean, not that Pat Butcher couldn't headline Pride. I was going to say. But if Pat Butcher headlined the Sunday, Julie would be headlining the Saturday. Okay. With their star era. With their star era. I'm, I'm sorry, I just wasn't a fan. Each to their own. Wow. You wait till I get the star earrings for Halloween this year. Okay. An old lady demands to speak to Kirsty um, at work about some bird problems. She is fuming. Did you, did you get this note down? No. The old lady, she is she's having problems with birds, so she is not happy at all. Um, but the scary homeless man from earlier eats some crickets, and Kirsty throws him out. Oh, yeah. My question was, what sort of pet shop has monkeys? <laughs> I don't think that's legal, is it? Is it? I, I, don't, I don't know. No. Michael I've Jackson had a pet monkey, didn't he? Yeah, that's true. Maybe, yeah, maybe that is a thing that you can do in America, where you this know. film is obviously set. Oh, I uh, saw that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Apology. I forgot we were in America. <laughs> I do apologise. Of course, there's monkeys in every pet shop in America. <laughs> <laughs> Frank explains to Julia that he'd exhausted all sensory experiences and sought out the puzzle box uh, with the promise that it would open a portal to a realm of new carnal pleasures. When solved, the Cenobites came to subject him to the extremes of sadomasochism. Is this where he's like, I want to touch you, or I want to feel Um, Because he, and it sounds like I'm making a joke, but I I find it quite interesting that he says, I want to touch you, but he goes straight for the tip. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, that's just his character, isn't it? Um, But I think that was an interesting touch, is that, you know, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> but an interesting <laughs> touch to the film that um, his first part that he wants to grab, you know, he, he wants to touch her and feel her is, you know, her breast. Yeah, which brings me to the question, guys, Frank or Larry? In what context? I was going to say. As a character. To grab me. Um, yeah, to grab you. Which one would you rather have grab you to? Um, Frank or Larry? Obviously, be Frank. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, yeah. Larry's got nothing. There's, there's not much there. I'm sure he's a nice guy. In the better. <laughs> Larry's trying his best. That's yeah. all. Yeah, <laughs> bless him. Um, speaking of Larry, uh, he's making Julia watch some boxing on TV with him, whilst Frank paces back and forth in the attic. Um, Julia's not affected by the boxing like she used to no. be. No, she's seen worse. That was quite funny. Yeah. Um, and then Julia decides to distract Larry, who could hear Frank, um, by trying to get on with him. Obviously, he's not quite, again, as we've discussed, he's not quite as good as Frank. Um, and Frank ruins it all anyway, because he comes and starts cutting a rat open at the bottom of the bed. Yeah. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, usually before something like that, I'd say in a bizarre series of events, but... I feel like this whole film is a bizarre series of events. Well, Frank's deliberately trying to um, lure Larry up to the attic so that Larry can be his final sort of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Um, Julia's guilt-ridden over it, so she essentially tries to distract Larry with a a quickie, Um, but Frank isn't having any of it, and... Cuts a rat up yeah. <laughs> at the end of their bed, <laughs> which um, I will use in the future to distract anyone. 
don't want to get anyone's attention. How often do you randomly fight people? I don't want to get anyone's attention. Oh, if I don't want to get anyone's attention, I will be doing that from now on. You do, you, Um, The next day, Kirsty spies Julia bringing a man to the house using her top detective skills. Um, she follows her to the attic where she interrupts Frank's latest feeding. Um, this is where we realise that, you know, Frank is, uh, is not just um, a bit of a psychopath, but he, he's also a little uh, creepy towards Kirsty as well, isn't he? Extremely. Yeah. Extremely oh, sorry, creepy. did I understand it? No, yeah, we well, did, yeah. No, it was very creepy. I mean, that's, that's your niece there. Yeah. Yeah, he starts... How old uh, is she meant to be in the film? She's a teenager. That's all we know. So it's, you know, Nancy as well. Yeah, yeah. Um... He attacks her after uncomfortably flirting with her. Uh, and Kirsty, with my favourite line delivery in the film, grabs the box and she's like, You want it? Fucking have it! And throws it out the window. Really good impression. It, it is. She, she's got a lot heavy landing camps about her. Yes. She's mm. very Nancy Thompson. Yeah. And um, like, you know, dear Heather, and I love her portrayal of Nancy, um, but it's not always on. Um, there are moments. Um, <laughs> there is uh, what's what's the one in Nightmare on Elm Street? I keep telling you, I don't take murder seriously. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of moments like that, but um, I, I think Ashley Lawrence does a good job. I think she's yeah. all, I think she she does better in this one than she does in the second one. Mm, debatable, debatable. Kirsty <laughs> retrieves the box and flees, uh, but collapses shortly thereafter. She awakens in a hospital. And uh, she solves the box, summoning the Cenobites, uh, a monster called the Engineer, uh, which Kirsty narrowly escapes from after it chases her down a corridor. Pinhead explains that although they have been perceived as both angels and demons, they are simply explorers from another dimension, seeking carnal experiences, and they can no longer differentiate between pain and pleasure. When they attempt to force Kirsty to return to their realm with them, she informs Pinhead that Frank has escaped, and the Cenobites agree to take Frank back and in exchange say that they will consider giving Kirsty her freedom. The catch is that Frank must confess to escaping them. They warn her against any treachery, and what do they threaten her? Tear your soul apart. There we go. <laughs> that that yeah, also absolutely. has my favourite line in the film as well. Yeah. No tears, yeah. please. It's a waste of good suffering. Yes. What a line. Yeah. It's such an iconic scene and so many quotable lines within that one scene. And Doug Bradley, he really gets that role. Mm. It's, just, it's just perfect, isn't it? I mean, even in the, the shit sequels, you know, the consistent thing is Doug Bradley is always so good as Pinhead. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's such a such a great actor. And I think they do end up going with what Clive Barker wanted. Whereas it's a quotable line, but it's not a silly pun. No. It's, I mean, we save that for the Doctor in the, uh, in the <laughs> sequel. Um, but it's not, it's, you know, eloquently put, yeah. almost. Um, and, uh, you know, well delivered by yeah. uh, Doug Bradley. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can you imagine, in the 80s, going to see this for the first time, how fucking it's it is so out even by 80s standards it's mm. so fucking you know out there and weird and and such yeah 
it's it's a a weird mind that comes up with these things. I have to yeah. say, he's he's a genius. He's, yeah, he's a genius. I mean, obviously, <laughs> but um, you got to something not quite right to think of some <laughs> of these things. Bless him. Don't he's... sue me. Don't sue me. I didn't mean it. Like, it's just like, adventurous. God, leave him alone. <laughs> Kirsty returns home, where Frank has killed Larry and taken his identity by stealing his skin. Uh, Julia shows her what is purported to be Frank's flayed corpse in the attic, locking the door behind her. The Cenobites appear, and they're just like, what are you playing at? This is clearly not Frank, is it? Um, and they demand the man who did this. Kirsty tries to escape, but is held by Julia and Frank. Uh, Frank reveals his true identity, and when his sexual advances, again, are rejected, he decides to kill her, um, but ends up killing Julia instead. Now Frank's the villain of the film. He's killed Julia. <laughs> yeah, all, all, the, all the demanding murder for <laughs> and blood for skin, that was fine, but you, you kill our queen. <laughs> There's no going back from that. Um, you know, the uh, the guys that she was seducing, um, I, I, I'm assuming they were all like married. Good enough, yeah. They're all having affairs themselves, mm. aren't they? They're all a bit. They're all a bit slimy. The first as well, one was an they? asshole as well. Yeah, yeah. They were all really giving Matt Hancock energy. <laughs> oh, topical references. Which is incredible considering the news we've heard. I know. <laughs> that first one was definitely giving Matt Hancock. Oh, they were oh, all yeah. giving Matt Hancock energy. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I mean, predicting the future. Our American <laughs> listeners are like, what the fuck are they talking about? Who knew? Well, they like that every week. Who anyway. knew middle class businessmen were uh, sleazy bastards? <laughs> who knew? Everyone. Everyone. They're all British. They're all British. And that makes the location of this film even more confusing. Yeah. 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 Just sorry, I just realised. That was so clever. Yeah. Oh my god. Um <laughs> <laughs> Frank chases Kirsty to the attic and when he's about to kill her, Matt Hancock comes and there's a set of bites appear <laughs> after hearing him confess to killing her father. Now certain he's the one they're looking for. Uh they hook him up with chains and tear into pieces and what does he say oh Jesus um oh, yeah thank you yeah at least jack's you know on the ball with quotes well i was gonna <laughs> give the accent oh please don't, don't. please don't. Yeah, no you've got to do it now no no you have to now no i can't I no can't. you have to no i can't do it okay bitch i do fucking yeah because you're pressure on them no i'm not i always sound like mario so can you please do the impression of say Jesus? Well, no, no, I refuse. I actually refuse. Wow. wow. And we can sit here and start. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the rest of the side, we're just gonna wait. <laughs> I can't. I'll just it'll embarrass myself. Wow. I won't be able to live it down. Did have you listened to any of our previous episodes? And I get my accent <laughs> spot on. I just can't do an American one. Anyway, with Frank out of the picture, the Cenobites decide to take Kirsty. Ripping the puzzle box from Julia's dead hands, Kirsty banishes the Cenobites by reversing the motions needed to open the puzzle box, except Butterball. Uh, the roof just falls onto him. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that's a bit weird. <laughs> um, Assuming he's just going, still going around um, 
London. <laughs> yeah, it's still going around. Yeah, uh, Boston, wherever the fuck they are. <laughs> it's still just going around. Yeah. Um, Steve shows up wearing a very ugly shirt, um, and they both escape the collapsing house. Ugly in a good way or ugly in a bad way, guys? Ugly in a good way. Okay. Yeah. Jack, were you a fan of Steve's shirt? Uh, no. Okay, good. Uh, afterwards, licorice all sorts. <laughs> Kirsty throws the puzzle box onto a burning pyre. Pyre? Yeah. 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 Pyre? Yeah. The scary homeless man who has been stalking Kirsty walks into the fire and retrieves the box before transforming into a winged skeleton like creature and flying away. Why not? Oh, <laughs> why not? <laughs> It kind of sounds like you're making this up. Like <laughs> you, you've confused your notes with another, you know, there's a virus on your computer and you've got your notes from another film you did last year. <laughs> the box ends up in the hands of the merchant who sold it to Frank, offering it to another prospective customer. And that's Hellraiser. That was Hellraiser. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know what else to say. No, I'm not sure what else to say. I mean, I mean, it speaks for itself. Yeah. If you want a good, gory horror film, you know, you'll be satisfied. If you want to see a, a great slay queen at work, you'll be satisfied. Mm-hmm. If you want a film that has, you know, some interesting layers to it, um, you'll be satisfied. Absolutely. If you want to know what country it's set in, you won't be satisfied. <laughs> but that's fine. It's okay. We, we can let that rest. Yeah, absolutely. Jack, what's your closing thoughts on the first film? Oh, I, I loved it. I, I, I watched it again the other day in preparation. It just doesn't... It doesn't get any worse upon rewatching. It, it, no. No. It, it, it's the, just the gore is just so brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and especially at a time where the MPA were cutting down, mm. you know, the Friday the 13th sequels and whatnot, you know, Clive Barker just turns up like, yeah, by the way, here's people being torn apart by hooks. And... Well, not more than five thrusts. Not more than five thrusts, not though. Five not more than five thrusts. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. If you like a bit of car, that reminds you. film as well, <laughs> you've got some in here too. Yeah, yeah. Pause at the right moment, you'll get the view. Um, but... <laughs> Is that where the picture went all fuzzy when we were watching it <laughs> at that moment? You were rewinding and uh, playing again. <laughs> to, to quote our guest, no comment. No comment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, on to a film that is arguably twice as gory and three times as batshit crazy. How about Hellraiser 2, released in 1988, the year after... They did not waste any time getting this out. The, I, the, the first one must have been a success then. For them to, yeah. you know, get a, a sequel out that quick. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my first bit of the getting ahead of myself, the first bit of trivia is New World Cinema greenlit this sequel whilst the first film was in post-production. Oh, wow. So there must have just been a That's lot of interest. That's yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, directed by Tony Randall, taken over from Clive Barker. I have to say they must have... <laughs> They must have been quite fortunate that the MPAA didn't completely tear the first one to shreds. Yeah. Again, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, it would have flopped. Yeah. And let, let's be honest, I think if, if all the gory scenes had been cut, then, you know, it wouldn't have been as successful because it's an integral part of the film. 
Yeah. So they were quite fortunate that that it wasn't completely cut. Like, for example, like um, Final Fantasy Part Seven, New Blood. Mm. You know, which was around this time that was completely cut. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Uh, directed by Tony Randall, who has directed such classics as Ticks, Children of the Night, The Double Born, Assignment Berlin, The Hybrids Family, and A Dog Gone Adventure. And I know you're both wondering, what's A Dog Gone Adventure? It's a film about a telepathic dog dog detective who enlists a group of fun-loving kids to help him solve a mystery. Just like Hellraiser 2. (laughs) I, 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 I don't understand how we went from that to that, but, you know, um, I'm sure we'll watch it one day. Uh, budget, $3 million, and it made $12 million. So, again, it's a weird area where it's not a massive success, but it made money. I think they were at a point where horror films just made money because they were so cheap to make. I mean, you think what they got for the original film for a million yeah. pounds, uh-huh. you know, which is, um, I, I think, less than a million dollars. I, I, I'm not an expert on the, the stock exchange or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, I, you know, they made a lot from very little. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of how horror films have always been seen. So you'd have to be really shit to lose your money on a horror film. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um. So, there's not as much trivia for this one, but we do have an interesting fact here. This film, along with Titanic, holds the record for the most times two characters have repeated each other's names. The names, of course, being Tiffany and Kirsty. Tiffany's a mute for a lot of this film as well. Yeah, but other characters say Kirsty. Yeah, but they're repeating each other's names. Oh, shit, yeah. So in that section at the end, <laughs> all she, the only thing she says is Kirsty. Because she's fucking mute for the rest of the film. <laughs> she's like fucking Groot, but she can only say Kirsty. <laughs> <laughs> the movie was due to have a much larger budget, uh, but it decreased after financial issues with New World Pictures. Uh, we, our favourite critic here on this podcast, Roger Ebert. This is included on his most hated list. Ooh. It, <laughs> his taste is fucking weird. Um, the film was banned in the Australian state of Queensland in 1989. Uh, in the years since, the ban has been lifted and the film has been seen on uh, physical media in that state. Malcolm McDowell was originally slated to write and direct the movie, but dropped out to personal reasons. Oh. Malcolm McDowell directed? Is that, has that happened elsewhere? I think so. Oh, okay. But not to great acclaim. No. Um, Who do you played? Oh, directive. <laughs> the director. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought you said and, and star. Do you think no. he starred in it? I don't think so. No. But he would have been good as a, the the doctor, wouldn't he? Doctor. Chenard. Chenard. Yeah. Uh, the mythical surgeon scene appears as an extra on the uh, Arrow Video Blu-ray release. Have you seen the uh, surgeon scene, Jack? I have not. I've only seen the. The standard uh yeah it's film. it's as an extra so it's um they don't there's some bits in it about audio and whatnot uh, but it is literally just uh our favorite character female cenobite and pinhead showing up in surgery gear but it, oh, it, it, that scene had a cult following yeah it wasn't the most exciting scene to be fair no i don't know why people 
And the, for the last bit of trivia, the bit of trivia we all needed to hear, Julia was originally supposed to rise from the mattress as the Queen of Hell at the end of the film. The theory being that she would become the series' continuing character. But once Hellraiser opened, Pinhead proved to be the most popular character, and no one gave a shit about Julia, which is a shame. Shocking. She could have been the Queen of Hell, the whole franchise. I'm best pleased. Instead, she has to settle for Queen of Our Hearts. Yes, yeah. And, that, and you know, that's an achievement in itself. Uh, so getting into the film, Kirsty is brought to an institution after the horrible events of Hellraiser, where the occult-obsessed head doctor resurrects Julia and unleashes the Cenobites and their demonic underworld. And we start with an 80s sequel essential. We get a catch-up of the first film's events. <laughs> Previously on Hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> we get it a lot during the film. We do. <laughs> I suppose if you watch the film without the recaps, you'd be like, who the fuck is Kirsty? Who is this Julia chick? Well, if you watch them back to back, you're all right. But if you randomly watch Hellraiser 2, I mean, you'd have no idea. But if you were in the cinema, because obviously, you know, these films exist so they can make more money than yeah. the original film. So they want people who maybe haven't seen the original film to come and watch Hellbound 2, Hellraiser. Um, no, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the last one of Pride Moon. Uh, it's not the last episode ever. Ever. This is our last episode ever. I'm so sorry. Um, it might be after this. Uh, <laughs> well, what we've got planned next week. But then. obviously they want people to go in. And, and I mean home media wasn't so easily available then, mm. so you can't guarantee that people had seen yeah. the original film. That's why they do these things. Yeah. But w- without that, and if you just watched, you know, Hellraiser 2, um, and you'd never seen the original one, you'd have no fucking clue what's going yeah. on. I mean, who the fuck are these people? Yeah. I mean, I, I like it. It's got a nice little, it's got a nice cheesy feeling for the old previous little Hellraiser. It's, it's yeah, great. it is good. Yeah. Um, It'd be nice if you could skip it, though, like a Netflix. (laughs) In the past, British military officer Elliot Spencer is transformed into Pinhead uh, with very graphic detail after opening the the Lament configuration. Yeah, this scene really sets the bar, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was also weird to see Doug Bradley out of the main cut. It wasn't exactly what I thought he was going to look like. Uh, which is a testament to the makeup. Oh, yeah. They, they took the pins out, they took the bald cap off. <laughs> yeah, in the scene, you get to see them put the bald cap on. Um, <laughs> the wonders. They're the wonders reading, reading a tutorial. They're watching a YouTube tutorial from you, Chris, yeah. on how to, on how to do it. Uh, shortly after her father is killed by Frank Cotton, Kirsty is admitted into a psychiatric hospital. Um, <laughs> and she questions where Steve is. <laughs> and I know you're all expecting a big explanation as to where Steve is and if he's going to return. Um, but she's told, "Don't worry about him. We sent him hours. We sent him home hours ago." Oh, okay. Bye, Steve. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> it's just like, oh, he, he left ages ago. Oh, okay. Um, is he <laughs> just cut away to Steve? Like, Fuck my drag. I just, I, I never <laughs> understand if her or Steve are ever, you know, uh, are ever. What? You no, they, they, they wouldn't have. No. He slept on the floor, didn't he? He did. What are you wondering? I'm wondering if they're ever... Um... Oh, my God. What's the word for someone who people think has committed a crime? 
I'm losing my words. <laughs> Suspect. Ah, there we go. That was the word you were looking for. Yeah. Good lord. <laughs> I was fucking boiling. I'm sorry. These, you know, these private episodes have not only, they've been a lot of fun to be with you, but also it's fucking boiling. It's really, really warm. So I've lost my way of It's like Hellraiser, it's so sweaty. It is. Oh my god, your fingernails are dirty. Absolutely filthy. You should have a fucking hook through your face. <laughs> anyway, uh, a cop searches the house from the first film. And finds the corpses and the bloody mattress that Julia died on. Um, how did Julia get onto that mattress, by the way? In the last film. Yeah, I know, but when they took she the died box, on the stairs. She in the on the stairs, doesn't she? Yeah, but Kirsty takes the box out of her hands when exactly. she's like, while she's hooked on the mattress. Exactly. But That's what I'm trying to say. Get there. Yeah, she was on the stairs. Yeah, but she when was she hooked? Exactly. Which was probably hooked to the mattress. Yeah. I understand what you're getting at. Yeah. Um, but should... also, I'm not sure why Why would the Stenobites take her? She wasn't playing with the box, was she? Well, she had it in her hands. Well, she died. well do you know what? She's a queen. She probably died and got up and walked. Let's face it. Yeah. She's got up and walked, yeah. got under bed. She's probably hoping Frank was going to come back for a bit more. One more, one more time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it, it, that's what she was playing with the box for. She's like, oh, please, someone else, come out, please. <laughs> Interviewed by Dr. Channard and his assistant, Kyle McRae, that honk, Kyle, another one that Kirsty sets her eyes on. Kind of looks the same. Yes, the same well, She's definitely got a tie. <laughs> Kirsty pleads with them to destroy the bloody mattress because Julia could be brought back to life uh, like Frank was in the first film. Kirsty meets uh, a young patient called Tiffany, who we find out uh, is conveniently an expert at solving puzzles. She's very good at it, isn't she? That's really going to be helpful. It's going to be helpful. I really think that's going to be helpful. It's a good job they're next door to each other. (laughs) Um, Would you like to tell us what Tiffany was in? Well, interesting fact, the actress that played Tiffany um, had a recurring role in Coronation Street. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so, it's just the strangest thing because obviously, like, Claire Higgins is an English actress. Um, So she's been in, like, English stuff, but, like, kind of highbrow English stuff. And she's a a stage actress. And, um, but she's also in The Worst Witch, which I find (laughs) really strange. It's it's this weird uh, thing that Julia, you know, the Queen of Hell, (laughs) I <laughs> was also Miss Cackle in The Worst Witch. But what was so weird is that this mute puzzle-loving uh, uh, girl in this horrifically gory film, you know, this is super gory, this film, uh, to know that she also worked at the um, Cash and Carry in Coronation <laughs> Street and the photos I found of her were her next to Vera Duckworth. It's just a bit weird. <laughs> We will post those on our social media. I think we should. I would I would like to see that. <laughs> Later that night, Kirsty is awakened in a room by a vision of her skinless father who tells her in writing that he's in hell and to help him. Um iconic scene. Yes. It's uh, the visuals in this are just uh, again, it, it really elevates what the first film brought mm. and especially with the scene, it's you know, it's really disgusting in the best way. Yes. 
That's my version of your filthy, disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> and you used the picture of it to. Uh, yeah, we were at a really shit New Year's awkward situation. <laughs> we were at a really shit New Year's Eve party once, and it was really awkward. Like everyone was just sat around doing nothing, and yeah, the, the people there weren't great. So I just text Chris a picture of uh, of, of Larry on the floor with his skin saying, "I mean, hell, help me." We said we left. <laughs> Um, next day, Kirsty tells Dr. Channard and McRae the plot of the first film uh, with more first film flashbacks mm. and extra flashbacks to Larry and Julia's wedding. Because we needed to see those. Yes, yeah, we need to see that they got married just so we definitely know it happened. Uh, we get to see the obviously the Julia and Frank sex scene again from a different angle this time. <laughs> After hearing the uh, How Raise a Plot summary, uh, Dr. Channard, who is secretly obsessed uh, with the puzzle box, has the mattress brought to his home and convinces a mentally ill patient to lie on it and cut himself with a straight razor because he believes he has worms crawling over him. Not going to lie, this is easily top ten most disturbing scenes in a horror oh, film for me. Absolutely. Like, it's jarring. Yeah. Every, every time, I've watched so many times, it's still jarring. Anything self-inflicted in a film, it's... Oh. Yeah. Like... Yeah. I don't mind people slashing each other with straight razors. Do that till the cows come home. But it's when it's, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And the actor, you know, he's only has got a small role, but his performance as well, he's oh. screaming and everything, it makes it even worse, doesn't it? Well, he played um, Skinless Frank. In did the, he really? Yeah, he oh. he he did those those sort of roles because he was a very thin man, so it sort of worked. Uh, well with him so yeah he, he's part of the, the Hellraiser um, oh. I actually thought it was quite sad as well yeah, actually yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean the Matt Hancock's in the original film you know you, you kind of sort of like, oh they kind of deserve it you know they're probably cheating on their wives you know these uh, yuppie wankers uh, <laughs> but this guy you know he's suffering from a mental illness a delusional parasitosis yes yeah um, and it's just, it's just kind of sad, really. Yeah. And he's trying to get away and he's screaming for help. Um, and Julia, someone who absolutely isn't Claire Higgins, uh, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not Claire Higgins under that suit, um, he like drags him back over and finishes them off, yeah, essentially. She finishes them off. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> that just shows she's the sex to get away in. Always. They are coming in thick and fast. Really. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a really serious moment then as well. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, how yeah. Scene was. It's the most serious we've been all episode. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, she drains the, the life from, uh, from the patient. Um, McRae is there watching. He snuck inside uh, to investigate Kirsten's claims. Who's McRae? The uh, Hunky Doctor. Oh, Steve, um, Steve Part Two. Oh, um, Steve Two Electric Boogaloo. Yes. <laughs> Back in the habit. <laughs> Kyle. Kyle. What's his name? Kyle. Steve. Steve Two. Steve Two. Steve Two. I'm sorry. Um, he witnesses the events and flees. Meanwhile, Doctor Channard, seduced by Julia, of course, whilst wearing, even when she's fucking got no skin on her, she is wearing a fierce white pantsuit, resembling that of uh, Scream Two. What's what's her name? Uh, Debbie Soul. Debbie, Debbie Soul. Soul. Good old Debbie Soul. Um, but then she isn't happy with that outfit and she changes into a sexy mummy outfit with a fucking dress over the top of it. And she 
yeah, she gets him to bring more mentally ill patients to uh, to his home for her to feed on. Yeah, she, um, she ruined the carpet. I must say, <laughs> um, he's a stupid bastard. He's, everything's white, white carpet, white walls. And he's like, oh, I've got this woman here. She could do blood. Um, what, what have I got my wardrobe for her? What, what can I get for her? I'm going to give her a white suit. Of course not, it's ruined. Absolutely ruined that white suit. <laughs> All that blood, um, but then she's serving that dress, yeah, yeah, and which she wears for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. She is giving me Elizabeth Taylor at the Oscars with no skin, with no skin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Elizabeth Taylor with no skin that's a that's a visual. <laughs> I'd watch that, I'd watch the shit out of that. <laughs> Does it exist? Are we, no, sh- are we definitely sure it doesn't so, exist? No, are we no, sure? No, we've we've discovered some weird shit on this podcast. We have, but yeah. No. I don't Skinlesscelebs.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Steve, too, arrives back at the hospital and informs Kirsty he believes everything is true. Uh, the two decide to go to Dr. Channard's house. And Kirsty and Steve, too, um, they split up. Steve, too, is killed and drained by a now fully regenerated Julia. And uh, <laughs> she comes face to face with Kirsty and gives the best monologue of any film ever. And she says, Kirsty, you have surprisingly good taste in men. She's being sarcastic. Um, they, didn't, they didn't tell you, did they? They changed the rules of the fairy tale. I'm no longer just a wicked stepmother. I'm the evil queen. So come on, take your best shot, Snow White. Every time I'm just saying like, yes, I don't care about Kirsty anymore. Knock her unconscious. I don't give a shit. When you deliver lines like that, you fucking won in my eyes. It's the height of camp. Yeah. Particularly within yeah. this film. I also found it um, uh, quite camp. When uh, the bandages are taken off and she's got a whole new hairdo, <laughs> and she, she's had a, uh, a blow dry, and she's just like and full face of makeup. Doesn't the filter on the camera change as well? Yeah. It's like um, uh, season one of Drag Race filter. Which she's like, oh, and the hair's <laughs> blowing, and she's just had it done, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> she's just fucking bandages. <laughs> Channard and Julia kidnap uh, Tiffany and force her to unlock 80s pop sensation Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> Not 80s horror sensation Tiffany. Oh, excuse 80s me. Mute sensation Tiffany. Yeah. <laughs> Puzzle what, sensation what, Tiffany. What is the supermarket in Coronation Street? <laughs> <laughs> Coronation Street is superstar. They, they force her to unlock the Cenobites. Because she's so good at, you know, solving puzzles. Uh, so she kind of does it as well, does, doesn't she? So, yeah, there you go. Play with that. Yeah. <laughs> See what you make of that. <laughs> um, they enter, followed by Kirsty, who now uh, has the Lehman configuration. Uh, Tiffany finds a disturbing... Oh, fuck, I skipped a bit on my notes. They enter Hal, by the way, everyone. They enter Hal. Yeah, so um, the room starts to go crazy when she yeah. solved the puzzle, and the Cenobites come to collect her. Um, but uh, Pinhead says it is not hands that call us, it is desire. Um, so they kind of, because you can't fucking kill a child right there and then, uh, they have yeah. to write around that. Um, his the idea is that she 
didn't want, you know, she had no idea what she was doing, therefore the desire was from Channard, so they'll yeah. go after Channard. Um, to which Kirsty said, fuck my drag. Because <laughs> in the first film, she had no fucking clue what she yeah, was doing. That's... She yeah. came after her. <laughs> um, Tiffany finds a disturbing hall of mirrors featuring a man juggling his eyeballs, uh, her mum being murdered like she's in a giallo film with a black glove, um, a baby with its mouth stitched shirt, and a clown laughing at her. And it's just... Again, really jarring. It's like, where the fuck has this come from? So the idea is that they've reached this hell, or their version of hell. Um, so Tiffany's version of hell is creepy clowns and... So which I am personally insulted. <laughs> <laughs> was, um, yeah, I mean... I... <laughs> How does it feel to know someone who works at the supermarket in Coronation Street is terrified of you. <laughs> Feels wonderful. I was going to say, you've done your job. <laughs> uh, Pinhead and the other Cenobites find Kirsty and tell her she's free to explore. Um, yeah, it's like, well, just have a wander around, fix up at home. Kirsty's version of hell is at her old home. Yeah. Um, we see a, a photo of Larry with who I presume is uh, her actual mother. Mm. Um, and then the place starts like dripping and leaking blood and, and cockroaches. That's her version of hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Julie betrays Dr. Channard and leaves him to be transformed uh, into a Cenobite by the god of hell, Leviathan. Kirsty encounters Frank in the labyrinth, who reveals that he tripped her by pretending to be her father in the hospital. Trickster Frank at it again. Yeah, always playing pranks. Kirsty sets fire to the place. Julia appears and destroys Frank after a kiss in revenge for killing her. Yeah, so so Frank. So when she meets Frank, he he's in this place with a lot of unattended candles, and there's these <laughs> writhing bodies under sheets that yeah. periodically come out and then go back in, come out and go back in. Um, so that's his version of hell. In the sense, and it's written in lipstick on the mirror, isn't it? Uh, yeah, just, <laughs> I am in hell, help me. After Frank was evicted on Drag Race. <laughs> After Frank was evicted on Drag Julia gets to the final, girls. <laughs> but he says that that's his version of hell, is the fact that he's got these women um, who are writhing their naked bodies under these yeah. sheets, but any time he goes near them, they disappear. So he's, uh, they, I think they promise everything, but don't do anything. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I do yeah, hell, so... not getting pussy. I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, your idea of hell is all the unattended candles. You know, that pisses that you is off. My, yeah, I hate <laughs> Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so Kirsty escapes after uh, Julia uh, gets her revenge. But, but she she grabs his heart and pulls it out. Yeah, she does. Well, of course she does. She's a fucking queen. And what does she say? What does she say? Nothing personal, babe. <laughs> yeah. Which Stack is what he said to one, her yeah. when he accidentally stabbed her in yeah. the first film. Oh, I love her so much. Um, she's then killed, sadly, by a vortex that opens within the labyrinth, leaving only her skin behind. 
and the dress. <laughs> this, this is one probably the weirdest part. I was like, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> things are just happening. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. Essentially, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> is that she's pulled through this vortex, uh, leaving her skin and, and that lovely the dress. Fabulous, behind. fabulous dress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is too good to leave behind. I don't know why they didn't want to take that. Oh, and the, and the hair still looking. The hair is still wow. Well. You know, credit to her, hair still looking good. Um, Kirsty and Tiffany reconnect and attempt to escape, uh, but they're ambushed by Channard, who has now become an opera singing cenobite who just keeps cracking puns all the time. <laughs> Do you know what energy gives me? What? Dr. Freeze in Batman and Robin. Because <laughs> it's just, he looks absolutely ridiculous. Um, I don't know what it is on his head. What is it on his head? Because uh, it's like, it's, I don't know, it's like an elephant's trunk stuck to the top of his head, which doesn't really go anywhere. You don't really see what's at the end of it because, you know, budget. Uh, but that's how he gets around as if an elephant yeah. like picks him up and just like dropping him in places I mean it's camp as fuck it's amazing yeah. and he's just there and he's <laughs> and uh, makes these doctor puns just like constantly for the rest of the film yeah and it's very Mr Freeze yeah it, it is it is uh, it, ahead of its time and this must have inspired Batman and Robin of course must have yeah because I mean I, I, I was absolutely watching Hellbound <laughs> for inspiration yeah his first one is the doctor is in and he's like oh! <laughs> I don't know why he does that after every pun <laughs> um, Kirsty and Tiffany flee and encounter Pinhead and the other Cenobites. <laughs> it was so right. It was like, so Pinhead, we want him to be really sophisticated. We also really want Chana to be sophisticated too. What can we get him to do that's really... So- an opera. Let's get him to do some opera. Everyone, everyone posh loves opera. Yeah, and then the... Well, oh, well, you know, I mean, Freddy Krueger's popular as well. Okay, mm. give him a pun and then let him have some opera. Kirsty and Tiffany find the Cenobites. Kirsty shows Pinhead a photo of Elliot Spencer that she took from Channard's study, and he gradually remembers that he's that her wine bag. That's yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> oh, Doug Bradley. <laughs> so, but it could save my life here. I've got we've got more important things. I know. I, it, I have to say more than definitely more than the first film. It's very reliant on uh, coincidences. This plot, <laughs> like Chana just skilled. happens to be working at yeah. the hospital. This girl just so happens to be a puzzle expert. <laughs> yeah, <It's> very... <laughs> Kirsty just so happened to pick this photo as the one to put in her pocket for the rest of the film. Yeah, and she always gets past the Cenobites so easily. She's always like, "Uh, yeah, but." <laughs> Before you tear my soul apart, what about this? You didn't know this, did you? You used to be human. And Pinhead's like, oh, fuck, she got me again. <laughs> but go on, go about your day, go on. I'll try and save your life and get killed she in the process. She exchanges her life for a bit of tea, don't she? she says, Spill the tea, girl. Let's <laughs> tell us, we're all ears, tell us. We want to know. <laughs> Female Cenobite, you don't even have a name. What? No, I know. Yeah. I've seen the script. Chara, <laughs> you didn't even have eyes in the first film. It's true. Did you not? No. Oh, bless him. Oh, Bubbles back, isn't he? Is he? 
Yeah. But everyone's back. After a fucking roof fell on him. Yeah. Yeah, that's, but that's the least of what happened to them in the first okay. film. Yeah, but the rest of them got transported oh, with the box. Yeah. He just had the roof fall on him. He's still back. He's like, hey, I'm back. She had no tits. She had no teeth to about him. Suddenly, Channard appears. Pinhead and the other Cenobites attempt to fight him, but Channard and his opera scales easily overpowers all of them, and he kills all the Cenobites. Yeah, this was really confusing to me, I have to say. I was like, why? So who made him a Cenobite? Why was he, like, Julia. made... Julia. But Julia made him a Cenobite, then why is he, like, more powerful than all the other Cenobites? the god... Of Cenobites, the god of hell, Leviathan, he was the one who transformed him into that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Explained terribly, but you know, that's, that's what I'm I think. I, I think I understand. Then why wasn't Julia a Cenobite? She's too cool for that. She's too cool. Oh, okay. shit. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it, I was, again, when I first watched that, I couldn't believe they just killed them all off. Yeah. Just like that. Um, didn't really put much effort into it either. No, no. Um, yeah, and the Cenobites, when they transform back to their human um, alternatives, did they look how you're expecting them to look? Yes, apart from the female Cenobite. Yeah. Who looked very glamorous, actually. She did, she did. And then obviously one of them was a child as well. Yeah. Yeah, one of them was a child. Um, Channard traps Kirsty and Tiffany. Kirsty finds Julia's skin and the audacity of Kirsty dresses up like Julia in the most the, the most committed cosplay I've ever seen. Fucking wears her skin, wears her dress, the hair, the it's all there. She makes uh, Tiffany think that it's her and uh, saves her life. Kirsty yeah. could never. No, she couldn't. She couldn't. I can't believe she thought she could. Um, yeah, so, um, Kirsty's not winning this season of Drag Race. Uh, Julia's already won. Uh, giving... That's a snatch game. She did really well. <laughs> yeah. Snatch game. She did incredibly well. Um, Channard is killed, and the door to hell is finally closed. Channard's killed in a great way, though. I mean, mm. the elephant finally has enough of him and just, like, rips half his <laughs> head off. <laughs> it's true. It's yeah. true. Um, Kirsty and Tiffany leave, and elsewhere... There's a real two minds about it, you know, are <laughs> Two... Oh, you fucking dick. <laughs> two moving men are removing Dr. Channel's belongings from Same his Same ones from the first yeah. film. A little bit of consistency. Uh, one is pulled inside of the mattress. The Julia mattress. And he... I love how his legs are, like, hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other witnesses a mysterious pillar rise from within it. Featuring various items from Hal, including Pinhead and the box dealer from the first film. And that is the end of Hal Razor 2. Yes, that is the confusing end of Hal Razor 2. But what a great sequel. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it takes kind of everything that you really liked in the first film, uh, which is the special effects. And the campy nature and Julia ups Julia and you know and turns it up, turns the mm. dial up all the way to eleven. Um, but 
unfortunately, the sacrifice is, you know, um, any coherency <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> I just by the end of it, I was just I was like, what is going on here? What is I have no idea. Yeah, it's a mindfuck for yeah. certain. Um, it, which is prime Clive Barker. That's mm. that's what he does. You know, I mean. I've only read Book of Blood Volume One, but it's very much, you know, that whole nightmarish. You don't know what fucking what you, what's going on. You don't know who's doing what. It's it, yeah, it, that sort of feeling that you get in Howlbound is what you get in his writing. So yeah, which is strange I that he didn't say, direct it. Which you know, yeah, it's, it, that that shocked me that he didn't direct. I until we just analysed it, I always thought he did direct the sequel. I thought he did actually. He was involved though. Was he was? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's got a writing credit and maybe producing as well. Yeah. Um, so the actor, uh, Andrew Robinson, who played Larry in the first film, um, the intention was that Larry would return as a character, um, but Andrew Robinson didn't want to reprise his role. Um, so when I sort of say that it's not as coherent as the first film, I think there's just a few holes there because yeah. they had to change the plot um sort of not last minute but because larry wasn't going to be a character but everyone else was um they kind of had to fill some holes and you know <laughs> you need to grow I, ca- I caught it the first time <laughs> but you understand what i mean it doesn't necessarily make it a bad film no um, but, you know, it, it, I was scratching my head maybe a couple of times where I was like, I'm a, I'm a little lost. Yeah. When I, pro- when I don't feel like I should have been. Mm. What's your thoughts, Jack? It, I find it, it moves quickly. Yes. You're yeah. kind of, okay, I'm just about getting the hang of, no, they've changed, something else is happening now and I'm, I've got no idea really what's going on. But I loved it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. You, you, you can spin me round on a confusing plot with some good gore, and that, that, that's what it did. Absolutely. Really. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong with that. So that is Hellraiser 1 and 2. We will cover the rest of the franchise eventually. Oh, <laughs> you poor bastards. We'll do a whole episode for part 3. Maybe merge the others into one. So you merge the two best ones into one episode, <laughs> but we have to spend a whole episode on part three. There's a which lot I've seen, to talk about. Know, but it's you know, it's yeah, it wasn't good. Good. It wasn't good, and it wasn't great either. It sounded it like you're at Larry's dinner party. It wasn't good. And then I haven't seen any of the others. Yeah, yeah, not good. I said maybe anyway. I didn't. I didn't commit to it. So. Well, I'm making sure you don't commit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so if, uh, if you're on social media, we're Horacle Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horacle Trash on Twitter. Let us know your favourite Howraiser film. Talk to us about how great Julia is oh, and wow. such. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, like, follow on everything else. You know the business by now. I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, GazCruz92 on Twitter, and Gazmo205 on Instagram. I am ChrisBarker823 on Letterboxd, Instagram, and Twitter. And where can we find you, Jack? Um, all my social medias are private. I work in a school. Way. Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's, a good <laughs> point. that's a good point. 
Uh, you can yeah, find follow. Passage Del Terra on Instagram yes. and Twitter. And yes, go, go and go. follow us and go and come down. Um, we, we, we do great things and we'd love to share them with you. Yes. We have such sights to show you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we highly recommend it. Yes. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you listen to this podcast and you love horror as much as we do, then you should, probably should have been, you should have been by now. I was in Blackpool, one of our favourite places. So yes, absolutely. lots to see and do in Blackpool. Absolutely. And take us with you because we love Blackpool. Yeah. <laughs> we, only live, we only live down the road. We only live nice. down the road now. It's incredible. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's our Harrow's episode. That is the end of Pride Month. Uh, thank you to all of our guests who've had this month. Especially thank you to you, Jack, who's oh, here you. today. Um, yeah, it's it's been great. It's, it's been really great. I know Chris was uh, like, yeah, it's good, um, but it's been great. <laughs> it's been a fun time had by all. It's been a wonderful Pride Month. I feel prouder than I've ever felt in my life. Oh, good on you. Good on you. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. That's really passionate. Oh my god. Um, but you know, all good things must come to an end, and. The same can be said about us talking about good films. Uh, <laughs> next week, we start shitty superhero month with Catwoman. Catwoman, talk about camp, but Pride Month never <laughs> ended. <laughs> yeah. You've not seen it though, have you? I haven't, no, but give me Sharon Stone and Halle Berry and you know, Razzies galore, and I'm there. Jack, have you had the pleasure of seeing Catwoman? I unfortunately have uh, <laughs> suffered through that. Yeah. You're in for some... Yeah, you'll, you're in for an experience. Good. Good. <laughs> I look forward to it. Oh, I'm going to analyse that shit scene for scene. Um, yeah, and we have plenty of uh, surprises coming up throughout Prime Month. Prime Month Part 2, Shit Super Month. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, should be fun. One word for it. But anyway, we thanks again, Jack, for joining us. It has been a pleasure. And we will see you all same time, same place next week. Bye. <laughs>